scripture reading is from Second uh, Peter chapter one, verses three through eleven. Again, that's Second Peter, chapter one, starting in verse third, in verse three. The text behind me is from the ESV version. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For you, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective. They will keep you oops, and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. morning, dear Crossbridge. Today we begin a new sermon series. You see it behind me, How to Get Unstuck Spiritually. This feeling, this experience of being stuck is a universal experience, and it's captured in uh, our literature and our art. For example, way back with the Greek myth of Sisyphus. Do you know Sisyphus? The, the myth was that he was condemned for all eternity to push a big rock, a boulder, uh, up, up, up a steep bank, and he would almost make it, and then it would roll back. And then he'd push it up, and it just, eternity. In the 20th century, Jean-Paul Sartre wrote a play called No Exit, feeling of being stuck. Three characters are stuck together. They don't like each other in an apartment, apparently for eternity. There's no exit. In the spiritual realm, you and I identify with this. You may have a proclivity, a personality, a lifestyle of anger. You don't like it. It brings you shame. You're kind of stuck. Many years ago, I was working in a church uh, in another state, and um, one of the work, one of the staff members, uh, one of the pastors of the church, had a an issue with anger. And um, one time he was rough with his wife. He didn't hit her, but he, he kind, of, kind of shook her and pushed her a little bit. He was 
very sorry and very shamed afterwards. But we had to let him go from the staff and we, we got counseling and all of that. But he felt stuck. Someone else has a lifestyle, a proclivity, a personality of worry, just worry all the time. And you know that Jesus said, do not worry. <laughs> Look at the birds of the air, they're doing okay. Look at the lilies of the field. Don't worry. Someone else is stuck with that, that travesty and tragedy going on in our culture called pornography. Stuck. Don't like it. Go underground with it. How to get unstuck spiritually. Some people, I would put myself in this category, have a lifestyle, a besetting sin of being a people pleaser. We fear people more than we fear God. It gets us in all kinds of trouble. What can be done for an old heart like mine? That's what Keith Green said way back in the 1970s. Stuck. The Apostle Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? The good I want to do, I don't do. The bad stuff I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Who will deliver me? So this is our topic in this sermon series. How to get unstuck, how to change how to grow to be more like Jesus. The good news is, as the title of week one says, he has given us all things necessary to press on to become more like Christ, to get unstuck. This is the you might say the theological indicative, the facts, the pronouncement from God himself. He has given us the power. He motivates and equips us to press on and to grow. And we see that with this uh, simple figure, the roots and the branches, God's love, God's power, the resurrection power that raised Jesus is the roots drawing sustenance and nourishment and feeding into us who are in union with Christ and then we bear fruit. But the strength and the power comes from God. And we see it in verses uh, right there at the beginning, don't we? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. That's the NIV, the uh, ESV version says, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The New English translation says, he has given us everything necessary for a godly life. Good old King James Version says he has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. 
And so we take hope. Those of us who feel stuck, and remember this is a universal experience, it is a universal Christian experience of this, uh, this, this, this Sisyphus-like <laughs> uh, experience. He has given us all things necessary, all things that pertain to living a godly life. That's our hope. That's the good news uh, this day. He has given us, first of all, his power, his divine power has given us everything we need. He not only calls us, he also enables us. He not only commands us, he also equips us by his divine power. I could use some power in my yoga class. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the teacher is a lithe, slender, flexible, very strong uh, yoga person, and she will say, do the crow pose. And I'm like, if you haven't noticed, this is not a yoga body. Can I get a witness on that? <laughs> And I'll I'll give it a try, but it's like beyond me. And she'll say, okay, now do the pigeon pose. That's a little bit better for me. And then she says, now do the bird of paradise. Have you ever seen the bird of paradise? I'm not going to demonstrate it to you because I can't and I would hurt myself. It's like you corkscrew yourself. She's commanding me in a nice way, but I don't have the ability She's trying to equip me, and maybe I'm getting a little bit better. But my point is, God doesn't do that. What he commands, he enables. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That's the good news. For those of us who feel stuck, this is your word of grace today. He's already... Taking the initiative, theological indicative, the roots feeding up into the branches. He has given us what we need for victory, to develop Christ-like character. John Bunyan was way back in the uh, 1600s. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and he, he wrestled with this, you know, this, this stuckness, this feeling of being stuck. But he said, God has given us everything we need. He put it this way. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. That's what the Bible teaches. His divine power has given us everything we need. Look at this, promises. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you might participate in this divine nature. What are his promises? Oh, you you name them. I will never leave you or forsake you. I have made a covenant with you. I have sworn by my own name. I have sealed it in blood. I am not going to break this covenant. You might break it. I'm not going to break it. I am with you to the end. By these great and precious promises, the nourishment comes through the roots, and we tap into it and experience it and are able to leaf and bear fruit. We are partakers 
of the divine nature or we participate in the divine nature. What in the world does that mean? That means the doctrine of union with Christ. His life is our life if we believe in him. His death was shared so that it became our death. We died to sin. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. We will be raised to life, and right now we're in the process of being raised. He ascended. We will ascend. We participate in this divine nature. Notice also our calling. He has called us by his own glory and goodness. I don't know if you remember when God called you, or at least the specific experience of, of when he called you, but it was by his, what does it say? His glory and goodness that called us and attracted us and magnetized us to him. His glory, his goodness, he's truthful, he's honest, he's fair, he's just, he loves, he cares about us, he's consistent, he's faithful. And we go, wow, that's attractive. And he called us and he drew us. You know, there is a glory sometimes even of humans. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever been around someone you just... It's so attractive and you want to be like them. It magnetizes you. I have a friend, uh, after he uh, finished college, he was going to take a little time off and he toured the world. He got his backpack and they, he and a friend stayed in youth hostels and they went all over the world and they tried to go as cheap as they could and they saw the world. They found themselves in Calcutta, India. And they were like, oh, well, we're in Calcutta. Hey, isn't this where Mother Teresa is? This is back in the, like, the 80s or 90s. Huh, I wonder if we could, uh, let's try to find Mother Teresa. It's a huge city. They've, they've tried here, they went here, and they found it. They went to her convent place and like, hi, uh, could we see Mother Teresa? And this little nun, just a minute. And another, a minute later, Mother Teresa comes hobbling out. And she took my friend's hand and she said, have you come to give your life to the poor? And my friend was like, well, uh, actually, we're just kind of touring around. <laughs> but when he described that to me, he said there was a glory, an attractiveness. And the Bible says Jesus is full of glory. And he called us by means of this magnetizing, his power, his glory, his promises, his calling. This is the strength that comes through the roots and helps us to bear fruit. So he has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. May I share with you how I'm trying to put this into practice and experience this? I, uh, back in July, July 1st, I took a new position at the place where I teach Gordon-Conwell Seminary. So I am now the interim dean of the campus. Uh, interim dean, not permanent, interim dean. Interim, interim, everybody. <laughs> Just want to make that clear. 
But I am finding the job very difficult. The work is overwhelming. Sometimes there's conflict. I hope that doesn't discourage you knowing that there's conflict in Christian organizations. And I, it's a very, I feel a very heavy load. So I was sharing this with a friend on Friday. We were at Starbucks, and I was kind of whining. Oh, it's very hard. And he said, what are you, what are you preaching on this Sunday? Oh, first Peter, second Peter. He's given it. And he said, if God has called you to this position, I think he has. He's giving you everything you need. You just need to access it, need to tap into it. And he gave me hope through the word of God. Calling, promises, power, partakers of the divine nature. You can get unstuck. Even you people pleasers. Even you worriers. Somebody says, well, it's not working. And I hear you, and I understand, and we, 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 we understand, we hear you. Universal, right? A couple of responses to the feeling. It's not working. First response. Are you sure? I mean, you're here today. As I'm teaching, maybe you feel a stirring in your heart, or when we sing with Keith Green, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Maybe there's a stirring, you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a sign of life. I'm not saying it's happy, I'm saying, are you sure? There's no evidence of God's working. Those of you who are watching on video, you're not here today, a whole bunch of people are gone. You're watching on video. Where am I looking? Over here. You're watching today, good for you. Hello. <laughs> Why are you doing it? Well, it's a habit. Is it more than that? Is God leading you? So I just wanna say, are you sure? that there's no hope. Sisyphus. Another response is, be patient, <laughs> be patient. This growing into Christ-likeness takes a lifetime and will actually never completely arrive. Be patient. Take your inspiration from the great cellist Pablo Casals. When he was 93 years old, he was still practicing three hours a day. Somebody said, why? He said, I think I'm making some progress. Yeah. Stay at it. Third response. Your feeling, your objection, it's not working, I'm stuck. That's why we're doing this sermon series. As my friend said to me at Starbucks, I need to learn to access and tap into and avail myself of the power and the promises and the calling of God. And that's why we're doing this series. He has given us all things. What are some of those all things? 
We'll look at those in just a second. But our response to this, uh, this divine initiative, this, this theological indicative, our response is, for this very reason, because he's done all this stuff for us, power and partakers of the divine nature, for this very reason, make every effort <laughs> to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection or brotherly love, to mutual affection, the crown of the list, the pinnacle, love. My point is, make every effort All the strength and power and all the good stuff comes from God and we participate. He has chosen to do his will through you, not in spite of you. And so we participate. We get with the program. We make every effort. Here are some of the topics we'll cover in this series. Prayer. That's next week. The word of God, that is a primary means, one of those all things he has given us, that is a primary means that helps us get unstuck. Worship, confession. You want to break the power of sin? Confess. The devil can't get you if you are walking in light and not pretending and walking in darkness and pretending like everything's okay and hypocrisy. It's a means of grace. It's one of the all things necessary. Spiritual friendships, Sabbath, and so forth. You're going to enjoy next week because we have a guest preacher coming. Uh, His name is Will Cottrell, and he has a delightful English accent. You'll enjoy that. He's uh, from outside London, and he'll uh, speak to us about prayer. And then for Sabbath, uh, we have another guest coming. Actually, the president of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, Scott Sunquist, is going to come and talk about Sabbath, his own practice of Sabbath. What's the Bible teach about Sabbath? Because Sabbath, I, I think Crossbridge needs Sabbath. Me too. It's one of the means of grace that we can draw from the the roots and, and get the strength. And you see the other topics. So we take God's gifts and we put them into practice and remind ourselves of his promise. If you possess these qualities, love and brotherly kindness and perseverance and Faith, if you possess these things in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. That's what we want, isn't it? We want to bear fruit. We want fruit-bearing ministries. And if we have these things, they'll, they'll, they'll protect us and keep us from being unproductive. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome 
into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bruce Waltke is a great uh, Bible scholar. He's very old now, but he has had a lifetime of studying and writing about and teaching the Bible, Old Testament in particular. When Bruce Walke, many years ago, when his kids were young, he used to play uh, Bible stories with them as a way of teaching them the, the content of the Bible. And they would kind of act out the stories. Well, when they were doing uh, David and Goliath, he was Goliath. I am Goliath. I come against you. And uh, the kids, he had two boys and a girl. They would be David. And he took a, a, a big old uh, handkerchief and he made a sling out of it. So you held both ends of it. And he put inside the handkerchief sling a ping pong ball. And he showed the, the kids how to sling it and let go of one side. And the ping pong ball would come out. And if it hit him anywhere, like the head or the leg or anything, he'd fall over dead. But you needed something else. You had to say, you come to me with sword and shield and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. <laughs> the boys loved the sling part, but they could never remember the line. And so, you know, they, they, they would hit him and, and he would just stand there. His daughter wasn't crazy about the sling, but she, she knew the line, and so she had the, the handkerchief, and she would say, you come to me with sword and uh, uh, shield and, and, and whatever, and, and, uh, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Fall over. <laughs> but he would just stand there. So my question for you is, which do you need? A smooth stone well slung? or the name of the Lord of hosts. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, I think you need both. To be sure nothing is possible without the name of God. 50,000 stones would not slay the giants that we face, but with the name of God, we might be able to get unstuck. So what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. Our gracious Father, help us to get unstuck by the power and the authority that you have granted through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.